We have been really blessed. I'll just invite Tim up. We've been really blessed to have Tim Kay here sharing with us. This is his fourth service today, so you've got to give him a great encouragement in a moment. Yeah, give him a Bridgie welcome. Thank you so much, Tim. A couple of years ago now, I was watching an OM documentary and I saw this Australian family uh, serving in the middle of Siberia in Russia. Temperatures of negative 44. Hey, I got it right this time. Negative 44. Investing in people, discipling them, and seeing them go out and share the good news of Jesus. Now, if I if I think about ways of investing your life, that that is awesome. It speaks of someone's heart. I'd never met Tim, but I saw him on that documentary. Since the Russian war, he's come back, and we had the opportunity to invite him to come and share with us. So I'm really blessed. Him at this occasion, when we're in the last service, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your heart to serve. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. And may God continue to bless you uh, in your ministry. Um, But could we once again just uh, welcome Tim to come and share with us. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Andrew. Um, It is great to be with you guys. Yeah, what a joy. Look, it's been such a privilege to be here and to be a part of your church today and yesterday and really learn from you. I mean, it's just amazing hearing the stories of what God has been doing here at Bridgman Baptist and really looking up to you guys and just trying to learn as much as I can, learn from Pastor Nathan as I'm, you know, just here, just going, wow, it's amazing seeing what God has been doing here. And uh, I just want to learn as much as I can while I'm here. So I'm grateful for the privilege. Hey, I want to ask you, uh, do you remember in your life the last time you needed to step up to the plate? Step up to the plate. That's a baseball analogy. I don't know, any baseball players here? Crickets. I can't see a single hand. Any baseball fans? Hey, we've got some baseball players. Woo-hoo! Give them a round of applause. I want to go over here. Hey. Um, yeah, it's always bad news when you start with a sport illustration and nobody knows that sport very well. No, you've seen the movies. You know, so stepping up to the plate, you know what it's like. Basically, baseball is a cool game um, and it all hinges on this moment, right? Soccer is a game where you play the whole 90 minutes or however long you're playing. Baseball is really a game where you just play for about five minutes and wait around for 90 minutes or maybe two hours or maybe three hours. But those five minutes that you're playing the game are a really fun time. They're a really fun time. And the key is when you step up to the plate, right? You know you're next in the batting lineup and uh, you, you see whatever happens to the batter before you. Maybe they struck out. Maybe they got on base. And then you know you're, you're next. And so you grab your bat. You've got your helmet on. And then the umpire calls, batter up. And you just walk out from that dugout and it's you against the world. The, the opposing team, they're all out in the field and you just walk up to the plate and you sort of tap that plate a few times and you've got that bat and everybody on that field is trying to get you out and you've got to basically just keep your eye on that ball and hit it as hard as you can and get on base and maybe hit a home run. Do you remember a time in your life when you've had to step up to the plate? I think it's a great illustration of times when you need to take an extra level of responsibility. This morning, we saw some people uh, do a little Lion King and, and uh, these new parents. I got to meet them afterwards at Nando's and uh, chat with them a bit and just see them as they become parents for the first time. That's a time when you step up to the plate when you've got this, this child, you're a new mom or a new dad. Or maybe you've started a business. Or maybe you're finishing high school right now. I was chatting to someone on welcoming who's finishing high school in like the next couple of weeks. Wow, how exciting. That's a time when you're stepping up to the plate. And the question is, am I going to do it? Am I going to, is it going to be enough? Am I going to be able to hit that ball? Am I going to be able to handle this new level of responsibility? And you're focused and you're ready. Um, Stepping up to the plate. 
Sometimes stepping up to the plate can be something a lot bigger with a lot more consequences. Uh, I've got the privilege of serving at the moment as a chaplain in the Army Reserve. And some of our soldiers were first on the scene of a, of a horrible incident, basically a crash. And they were the first on the scene there and needed to provide critical um, uh, first aid to people who were in uh, critical conditions. And our guys did an amazing job, an amazing job. But some people died. Some people died. They saved some lives, but some people died. And they came back. And I was, my role as the chaplain was to talk them through that experience, what happened for them, what's going on for them now mentally. And it was so interesting seeing the difference between the majority of them that really understood that they did the best they could and they saved somebody's life. That was their perspective. That was their focus. And they said, hey, we stepped up to the plate. They didn't use the baseball analogy, but they said, we showed up. We did the best we could. We had great instructions from our officer there. We, we provided first aid. And that person that we were providing first aid to, they are now alive. And that is because we did the best we could. But there are others on this team that said to me, I think we could have done more. And it was so interesting seeing the difference in the resulting mental health between those who really felt like they did everything they could and those that felt like we could have done something more. And just seeing how that bothered them and ate away at them. It's something called moral injury. When you feel guilty that you could have done something more. You could have done something more. And really, my, part of my job was just helping them realize they couldn't have. They did the best they could. They did an amazing job. Um, but I just, for me, the lesson was the difference after the event between whether you feel like you did your best, you stepped up, you worked hard, you focused, you obeyed, you followed instructions, you did what you could in that moment, and, well, I didn't do my best, or I could have done something more. Friends, we're talking about mission tonight. We're talking about the mission of the church in the world. We're talking about the, the mission that Jesus sends us into, the great commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And I wanna ask you at the end of your life, do you wanna be someone who looks back and says, I did the best I could. I stepped up to the plate. When there are chances to share the gospel, I shared the gospel. When there, are when there are chances and opportunities to share my testimony, I shared my testimony. I was prayed up. I was praying for the nations. I was focusing my life on the mission of God in the world. Or do you wanna to get to the end of your life and say, I could have done something more could have done something more. I realize I'm speaking to a lot of young people tonight. And I want to say to you, guys, I'd like you to be in that first group, that, that first group at the end of your life, looking forward 60 years, say, I did everything I could to bring Jesus to the people around me who need him. Who wants to be able to say that? Anyone here? We're looking at the book of Esther. Um, I want to recap the story so far, and then I'm going to read out our chapter for tonight, which is Esther chapter 4. So uh, Esther and Mordecai are Jewish foreigners living in a capital city of the Persian Empire, a city called Susa. They were deported there, and they've been living there in exile. Esther and Mordecai are cousins. Esther, uh, Mordecai's a bit older. He's been looking after Esther uh, as she grew up. Esther was then forced to participate in a kind of sexualized beauty pageant and was selected to be the next queen of the Persian Empire. So a position of incredible power, incredible authority. She clearly had favor with the people around her and with King Xerxes, and the Lord was with her. 
Mordecai, Esther's cousin, stopped an assassination plot against King Xerxes. Haman, a really bad dude, was promoted and everyone had to bow down to him. Mordecai would not bow, probably because Haman was a bad dude. Mordecai knew that. Haman was pure evil. And Mordecai said, I'm not going to bow down to him. By the way, we covered a lot of this story this morning. If you missed it, uh, I encourage you to go and watch it online. Haman decides to get back at Mordecai, not just by killing him, but by killing all of his people group, the Jews. Haman even promises King Xerxes, I'll pay you 10,000 talents of silver, huge amount of money if you'll let me do this. And the king agrees. All right, then we get to chapter four, which is our chapter for today. I'm gonna read this out in the NIV. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping and wailing. Many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She she sent clothes to him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend to her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak went back and reported to Esther, what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my tenants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. I wanna remind you that this is the salvation story of the whole Bible. So we read the book of Esther, we typically think it was an event in the history of the Jews. What we have to remember is that Jesus came from the Jews, like Jesus was a Jew. So if Haman was successful in his plot, then Jesus can't come and save the world from sin and death by dying on the cross for you and for me and and rising again. That can't happen. So this is a, a part of the salvation story of the world, friends. If Haman was successful, you would not be here today. And this chapter in particular in the story is of great importance because it's the one chapter where we have character development. Character development is a literary device or a character arc. It's where someone in the story changes 
And you can tell if someone in the story changes, you know, that must be the main character of the story. And what we have in this story is Esther changing. At the start of the story, she's reluctant to get involved. She's saying, I don't want to step up to the plate. I don't want to risk anything. I'd rather just stay in the palace, be comfortable while other people are perishing. And Mordecai encourages her and talks to her, and she receives that, and she says, at the end of the chapter, all right, I'm going in, and if I perish, I perish. So we see this this change going on in Esther's life. Esther changes, and that heart change that she goes through, I think, is something that is an example to you and to me. If we want to be a part of God's mission in the world, if we want to pivot in our lives and step up to the plate, if we want to do what Jesus is calling us to do, then we're going to follow this same path as Esther. And I think there are four things in that path. So we're going to jump into them. The first is you're going to rip your heart. If you want to follow Esther into mission, if you want to do what Jesus does in the world, you need to rip your heart. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, verse 1, He tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. Mordecai is normally a pretty chill kind of guy. Pretty chill. You read the whole book, he doesn't really display a lot of emotion. But then all of a sudden, in this moment, he's ripping his clothes, putting on a hessian sack, getting ash from a fireplace, rubbing it on his hair, and then walking outside and just screaming. I want to ask, has anyone here ever done that? Ripped your clothes, put on a hessian sack, some ash in the hair, walked outside and started screaming. No one? All right, we did actually have one person at the previous service, and I was quite shocked. Uh, um, Why is Mordecai so bothered by this? Why does he care? Because this is God's salvation story. This is a threat to the kingdom of God. This is a threat to the peoples of the nations hearing about Jesus ultimately. This is a threat to snuff out the light of God in the world. And Mordecai cares about that. He cares about the salvation of his people and ultimately the nations. Paul has the same the same attitude in Romans chapter 1. He says this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. Sorry, Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm not making this up. This is my real emotions. (laughs) I'm not lying. This is really going on in me. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. A chapter later, chapter 10, verse 1, he says this, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I want to ask you, friends, do you care about the salvation of the nations? Is your heart's desire and prayer to God for them that they may be saved? I think in Australia, it's actually hard to care. I think that's part of the spiritual atmosphere in this country. I remember noticing it when I first came back from Russia. I remember feeling like everybody is spiritually asleep. And then after a little while noticing, I myself lulling off 
to spiritual sleep. I think it's the devil's main strategy in Australia to get us distracted and to get us spiritually asleep. And so it's our role as Christians in this nation to wake ourselves up, to wake ourselves up, to use the language of this passage, to rip something. Uh, God says in in the book of Joel, uh, rip your heart and not your clothes. Rip your heart and not your clothes. And what that must mean then is that ripping your clothes is a symbol of an already ripped heart. That's what Mordecai is expressing. My heart is broken for the salvation of the peoples and therefore I'm going to rip my clothes as an expression of that. That's why I'm saying to you this morning, friends, rip your heart. It's no one else's responsibility but your own to start to wake up and care for the things that God cares for in the world. Can I have an amen? Amen. Woo. All right, I'm preaching well today. Uh, better than you're responding. No, I just like it when people say that. Preachers sometimes say, I just like it when they say, I always wanted to say it. Thank you for humoring me. Thank you for humoring me. When we were in Siberia, we started to go and reach the Tatars. This is a Muslim people group, nominally Muslim. Uh, there's five and a half million of them all throughout Siberia. Um, and uh, we'd go into these villages and we'd share the gospel with them. And my wife was once in a village and uh, it was actually beautiful that Amanda, who was getting baptized today, shared about the Samaritan woman. Because my wife had just read that story of the Samaritan woman that morning. And she was in this village. It's the, the, the story of the woman by the well. And she knew that it, it kind of jumped out at her, jumped, jumped out at her, this story as she was reading it in the morning. And then she went into the village a little bit later, and she saw a woman by the well. She didn't even put two and two together until later. And this woman was standing by the well, and she just went and said to her, hey, uh, this about a 60-year-old woman getting water for her house and carrying these two buckets back to her house. And my wife was there, and she said, hey, could we just help you carry those those buckets of water back to the house? And the woman said, oh, of course. And they carried her water back to the house, and then they went inside. And this woman uh, invited them in for tea and said, hey, why are you here? Why are you young people? Why have you come out from the city? What are you doing here? And they said, my wife said to So this woman, we're here to to talk to you about Jesus. And the woman said, who? And Joe said, "Uh, Isa. Like she was speaking Russian. She said, Isus the first time. And the woman said, who? She said, Isa, which is the, the sort of the Muslim way of talking about Jesus, the Arabic name for Jesus. And the woman said, who? And so Joe went back to the Russian name for Jesus. And and the woman just after a while went, stop. I, I know you're talking about someone. I just don't know who that is. And Joe realized that this woman has never heard about Jesus before. And, and you'd actually, I'd like to ask, what, what kind of emotion would you feel in that moment? Because there was like this double emotion, this dual feeling. One was, wow, what a great privilege to share the gospel with this person. And two was this brokenness that Joe experienced, this heart ripping of a realization that there really are people in the world who have never heard about Jesus. Friends, do you, do you care about that? Do you care about your friends knowing Jesus? Do you care about your family knowing him? Robert Pierce, the founder of World Vision, uh, taught people to pray this prayer. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, break my heart for what break yours, breaks yours. Lord, I want to feel what you feel about people. I want to feel what you feel about the nations. I want to feel what you feel about my family. I want to feel what you feel about my friends. I want to see them through your eyes. I want to experience your gaze in this world because how can we do the works of Jesus in the world if we don't have the attitude of Jesus towards the world? 
this desire to see everyone saved and knowing the wonderful God that we've been worshiping tonight. So the first thing I wanna say is rip your heart. The second thing I wanna say is remember the promises of God. Remember the promises of God. Verse 13, Mordecai sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Mordecai tells Esther, God will save his people with or without you. With or without you. It's a great U2 song, by the way, but most of you are too young to know it. With or without you. You Okay, some of you know it, even the young people. Great song. God will save the world with or without you. With or without, but he wants to do it with you. He wants you to be involved. He's inviting you in. He's inviting you into what he cares about more than anything else. The mission of God in the world. He can do it with or without you. Mordecai saying to Esther, relief and deliverance, it'll arise from another place. How does Mordecai know that? Because he knows God's promises to Abraham. He knows God's promises to David. He knows God's promises through the prophets. He knows that God will save his people and God will save the world. And so do we, friends. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. When you wake up at the end of history, you'll see that this has indeed taken place. Jesus has built his church. The gates of Hades has not overcome it. John has seen the end where every tribe and tongue and people and nation are gathered around the throne, worshiping the lamb that was slain. We know the end. We know the last chapter. We know what's going to happen. And it's just a question of whether you and I will be involved, whether we'll step up to the plate, whether we'll do our best with the mission that we have before us, or whether we'll get to the end of our life and say, I could have done more. I could have done more. Remember the promises of God, friends. He's working among the nations, saving people, bringing them to himself. Care about it and then remember what he's doing and feel that invitation to be a part of it. He'll do it with or without you, but he wants to do it with you. There's an invitation to you, a personal invitation to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world and you can remember the promises and allow that to motivate you. I remember one time we went into a, 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 a tart, another Tatar village and we we're chatting to this couple and they were Muslims. And this guy was a, the poorest of the poor and he was an alcoholic and he had no interest in Christianity. And he was saying to me, I don't, I don't, I don't wanna become a Christian. I'm not interested in Christianity. I'm a Muslim. And that was his line. And I, I just didn't really know where to go from there. So I just said, hey, could we read the Bible together? I know you guys are just starting a program where it encourages a believer to read the Bible with some of their friends and family and invite people to read the Bible together. We, we basically did that. It's, it's the same thing. I said, could we just read the Bible together? He said, sure. And I'm pulling out my Bible thinking, Lord, like what, what passage to open to? And in that moment, I felt like opening to John chapter three, the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. So I opened it up. And I read it out and we had our kids there with us. We were actually, uh, it was like near Christmas time. We're giving Christmas gifts to people. And so we'd arrive there, like these Christmas hampers that you guys are doing, by the way, same idea. We'd arrive there and we're talking to this this guy. And I said, let's read uh, John chapter three. And then what what you need to do is while I'm reading, just listen and, and see what God says to you through this passage. What stands out to you? 
And we're all going to do that. We're all going to share that. And so I read John chapter 3, and then we got our kids to share. So like from the youngest to the oldest, we got five kids. So it's like, you know, it took quite a while. <laughs> this guy kept wanting to chime in. I'm like, no, 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 just wait. We'll go through over all the kids first. And then Joe and I shared, and this pastor friend who was with us there. And then I said to him, okay, what about you? What did God speak to you through this passage? And he said, through that passage, I realized that I must be born again. I need to be born again. And I, like, I was like, What? Weren't we just arguing about this? Like, and you were like totally not interested. What changed? What happened? And it was just the reading of the word of God. Just the reading of the word of God. Just the, the hearing of the powerful word of God, the living and active two-edged sword of God's word that touched this guy's heart and he said, I need to be born again. And so we're able to lead him in a prayer, giving his life to Jesus. And then he experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. And it was like, I just was like, what, what did I do then? I, it didn't feel like I'd done anything. All I'd done is been faithful to the call of God to go and position myself in the right place at the right time and then remember the promises that God has to speak to people through his word. So friends, rip your heart. Remember the promises of God. The third thing I want to say is realize that God has a specific purpose just for you. We turn to this, this favorite verse in the book of Esther, verse 14b, the second half, part, half of verse 14. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Everyone repeat after me, for such a time as this. Let's do it again. For such a time as this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are here for such a time as this. So it's awkward, like, do you go right or left? Who speaks first? It's super awkward, right? Up the front, like on the stage, it's not awkward. Um, for you guys, yeah, a bit awkward. Mordecai taunts Esther with a powerful maybe. Maybe you were brought into the kingdom to do exactly this thing, this thing that God has set before you. Maybe the calling of God on your life and the providence of God in your life, maybe God has placed you exactly where he wants you. And he's called you to do exactly what he wants you to do. I love that powerful maybe. I love it. It's the same for you and it's the same for me. In fact, Paul makes it less than a maybe. Paul makes it pretty definite when he says in Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do which God prepared and invested for us to do. The picture of Ephesians 2.10 is this. God made you. You're his handiwork. He loves you. He loves what he created. You're a masterpiece. He's a wonderful designer and he designed you beautifully and perfectly for the purposes that he has for you. He's designed you and then he's designed tasks for you to do good works. And he's designed you for the good works and he's designed the good works for you. There's a perfect alignment between the calling of God on your life and who you are as a person. 100% alignment. It's perfect. And you are now in a season where that applies. That reality applies to this season in your life right now, friends. You are here for such a time as this. It's not rocket science. If God is in control of history then surely he has a plan for you and for me. Some people think that when we start talking about God's plan for our lives, the result will be we'll just sit around and kind of wait for him to reveal it. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying step up to the plate. 
Realize that the situation that you're in is part of the calling of God on your life. He's uniquely positioned you for it. And he's gifted you for it. He can save the world with or without you, but he wants to do it with you. He's inviting you into that. He has a purpose for your life. If you don't know what it is, ask, seek, and knock, especially speaking to the young people who are finishing high school. Seek God. Seek God for what he has for your life. It is way better than anything that you can ask or think. When we were in in Russia, before we'd started really reaching the Tatars, uh, my wife was frustrated by the fact that she had a gift of evangelism, but wasn't really serving in evangelism. And, And she was like, I just don't feel like I've got enough opportunities to use this gift of evangelism that God has given me. And I said to her, just go and talk to the evangelism pastor in our church. I just saw that you have an evangelism pastor. David was up here before, and I saw it set up there, evangelism pastor. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Go and talk to the evangelism pastor in our church. He will help guide you into evangelism opportunities. And you know what she said? She said, oh, they've probably got enough people serving on the evangelism team. I think that's like the easiest lie of the devil, by the way. They've probably got enough people doing mission and evangelism and that kind of stuff, sharing their faith. They probably don't need any more of them. Like that's like such a like low-hanging fruit for the devil to like plant that lie into your brain. And then she said, no, okay, I'll go and talk to him. And, and, and that actually led to her then leading this whole team out into these, these Tatar villages. It led to hundreds of people hearing about Jesus. It led to dozens of people giving their life to Christ. It led to several um, uh, uh, people getting planted, like sort of Christian groups planted. And it also led to a Wycliffe Bible translation project among that people group. It led to a guy's legs being healed. Don't have time to tell that story. Wow, what a story. Maybe I'll tell a little bit. He was sitting there. They, they walked, walked up to him and said, hey, we're here to tell you about Jesus. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. Tata guy. Meant to be a Muslim, but he's like, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. Why not? My legs don't work. I'm in so much pain, I can't sleep. I sleep about an hour a night. And they were like covered in this black gangrene. And uh, Joe and and the the women who were with her said to him, hey, look, we're going to pray for you. And one of the women who was with her said, hey, I want you to say this every day. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. Just say that every day. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. He's like, okay. They left and then um, the, the, the people had, like the guy with the legs, like they really were impacted by this visit. And so he started praying that, thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life every day. And they came back a month later and he's beaming and his wife is beaming. And he said, look at my legs. And there's no gangrene left on his legs. He was meant to have them amputated. He went to the appointment with the doctor to get them amputated. And the doctor's like, we don't need to amputate your legs. And he said, of course you don't. Look at them. And the doctor said, how did your legs live again? And he said, these these girls came from the city and they told me to say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you're doing in my life. Wow. The, his wife went to the local shops and uh, the, the shopkeeper said, everyone's talking about your husband being able to walk again. What happened? And uh, his wife said, these girls came from the city and they told him, and the, the shopkeeper goes, oh, don't tell me about girls coming from the city. Like, you can't trust them. They're like part of a sect or a cult or something. And uh, this woman said to her, um, this, the, the cashier, she said, I don't know if they're part of a sect or a cult. All I know is that my husband couldn't walk and now he can walk again. Like the guy in the gospel, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. Friends, step out. Realize that God has a specific purpose just for you. 
Find it. Find it. Live in it. Wake up each day and believe that that's true. And you'll have eyes open to see what God is calling you to do. And the last thing I want to say is risk it all. Risk it all. I've said rip your heart. I've said remember the promises of God. I've said realize God has a, has a purpose just for you. He has a plan just for you. And the fourth thing I want to say is risk it all. Esther says this in verse 14. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. And when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I love it. I love Esther's words. Like, she's just like, she's like the Cinderella, right? And then she's like kicked off the glass slippers and she's like putting on the combat boots. And she's like, I've got a job to do. You know? <laughs> Cinderella's got a job to do. She's stepping up to the plate. She knows her purpose. I, I love this, these words, if I perish, I perish. It's this mortal pragmatism. I'm going to die anyway. I might as well die serving the Lord. I might as well use my life for a purpose. Uh, I once uh, was listening to a guy uh, speak who had uh, spent 40 years of his life translating the Bible in Papua New Guinea. And someone in the audience just put up their hand and asked him a really honest question. Why? Why did you spend 40 years translating the Bible in Papua New Guinea? And the guy just responded with such a casual response. Your life, well, you've got to use it for something. You've got to use it for something. I love love the way he talked about it because he lowered the importance of his life. He lowered it down to the level of a tool, of a currency, of something you can use, something you can spend, something that you can throw into something bigger than it. It's this realization that Esther has that my life is not the most important thing in my life. Friends, your life is not the most important thing in your life. God has a purpose for you. It's greater than anything you could imagine. It's bigger than anything you can think up. And so I want to ask you tonight, are you still living your Cinderella story, imagining that getting to the palace will satisfy you? Or are you ready to get rid of those glass slippers and put on the combat boots, step up to the plate? I know I'm mixing analogies there, always a little awkward. Are you ready to to serve Jesus in what he's got for you? It involves a sacrifice, friends. It involves a surrender, a surrender. In my life, a key moment of surrender was um, when my my son uh, fell off a a piece of equipment, fell backwards and hit his neck. We were in Russia at the time, and, and I wasn't there, and my wife picked him up and put him on his legs, and his, his head fell to the side, and his legs were all wobbly. And he was, he was unconscious for a little while, and then uh, he, he was, his eyes were open, but he, he didn't seem to be able to hold his neck up or his legs. So she calls an ambulance and calls me, and I arrive around the same time as the ambulance, prayed in the ambulance, and then let Joe and my son Joshi go off in the ambulance while I put our kids to bed in the accommodation that we were staying at. I put them to bed and then just, just sat there with the Lord. And it was like, God, if, if my son ends up a quadriplegic, will I stop serving you? That was the question on my heart. And I, for what it's worth in that moment, I said, no, I'm not going to stop serving you. I'm not going to stop fulfilling your purpose in my life. If he ends up a quadriplegic, we'll we'll still do whatever we can to serve you faithfully, to risk it all, to love you, Lord, to to be a part of what you're doing among the nations. 
That's, that's the purpose of my life. I don't want to let that go because something bad has happened. It was this moment of surrender for me, a, a, a quiet, lonely moment of surrender again. And then about half an hour later, I got a call from Joe at the hospital. She said, Joshy woke up and he said, he was four at the time, he said, Mummy, Jesus came and touched my neck with his fire sword. And then he got up and then went and ran and played. Mummy, Jesus came and touched my neck with his fire sword. We've been telling him like every year, do you still remember what Jesus looks like? <laughs> Don't forget what Jesus looks like. Um, wow, what a story. What a, what a moment. But for me, it's, it was the moment of surrender again. And I think that's a moment that I'm just going to call you to tonight, friends. Surrender yourself to the purposes of God. Rip your heart. Say, Lord, I want to care about what you care about. Break my heart for the things that break yours. Right? Remember God's promises. He's going to do it among the nations with or without you, but he's inviting you to do it with him. He wants you a part of it. He's designed you for the purposes that he has for you. Realize that God has a purpose just for you and risk it all, friends. Just say, I'm going to throw my life onto the purposes of God. I'm going to be the small change in his pocket that he can spend on whatever he likes. My life exists for something greater than my life. It exists for him and his purposes in the world. I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to us. We thank you that it is a sharp, two-edged sword, that it's living and active. And Lord, we pray tonight that this would be a night that changes us, not just the people who got baptized tonight, but for all of us, that your grace through your word, through the worship, through your spirit at work among us, through the encouragement that we receive from one another, that your grace would have an impact on our life and it would quicken us, that there'd be an experience of your quickening grace that awakens us to your purposes. Lord, we want to surrender ourselves to you again. So we pray, use us for your purposes in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.